Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes. You're listening to the book summary presentation of Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, narrated by Larry G. Jones. In a concentration camp, prisoners lose their freedom, possessions, identity, and are treated like animals. When left with nothing but the skin on their backs, how do some prisoners survive and even achieve inner peace against the odds? Renowned psychiatrist Viktor Frankl believed that meaning is a powerful driving force that allows mankind to overcome extreme odds and achieve extraordinary feats. During World War II, he spent three years in several Nazi concentration camps as a prisoner. His experiences and observations there reinforced his belief and led him to develop logotherapy, a branch of psychology built on the meaning of human existence. In this book, he chronicled his camp experiences and how logotherapy can be used to help people overcome anxiety and find fulfillment in life. In this summary, we'll present the ideas in two parts. Let's begin. Part 1. The Psychological Journey of a Concentration Camp Prisoner During his time in the camps, Franco observed that the prisoners went through three psychological phases with corresponding symptoms, shock, apathy, and depersonalization. Phase 1. Shock When the prisoners were admitted into the camps, most of them went into shock. They couldn't handle the stress and implications of their new situation, and reacted in ways that would have seemed abnormal under normal circumstances. Yet, abnormal reactions to abnormal circumstances are perfectly normal. Such reactions included delusions of reprieve, humor, curiosity, and a lack of fear. When faced with dire circumstances, we want to believe that things will miraculously work out, even when evidence suggests the contrary. We may suffer from what psychologists call delusions of reprieve. Frankel arrived at the Auschwitz camp with 1,500 prisoners, who originally thought they were being sold to a factory as forced labor. Imagine their shock when they realized they had arrived at a concentration camp. Yet, when they saw a small group of well-fed, healthy-looking prisoners boarding the train, they told themselves that things may not be that bad. Then, they were split into two groups, and the larger group, with 90% of the newcomers, was sent to death within just a few hours. Frankel was part of the minority that survived. When the remaining prisoners were told to surrender all their possessions and valuables, some still naively requested to keep certain items. They simply couldn't grasp that they could lose everything overnight, including their identity and past lives. However, bit by bit, their illusions were stripped away. As their clothes were removed, their heads and bodies were shorn and they were whipped and beaten at the slightest provocation. Frankel finally realized that he was literally left with his naked existence. 
Surprisingly, the prisoners were not afraid to die at this phase. Everyone knew of the high death rates in concentration camps, yet that very knowledge made death less fearful. Instead, the prisoners tried their best to crack jokes about their situation. Next, a strange, detached sense of curiosity set in. If someone got seriously injured, he may wonder if and how he'd survive the injury, rather than fear the outcome per se. In fact, the prisoners were often surprised at how much they could endure. For example, they could stand wet and naked in the autumn chill without catching a cold, or survive with very little sleep. Phase 2. Apathy New prisoners missed their loved ones constantly and felt disgust, horror, and pity at the level of death and suffering all around. This initial shock wore off as the prisoners settled into a routine and transited to their grim new reality. In phase two, apathy set in. That is, prisoners became numb to the physical and psychological pain of the daily beatings and abuse. Apathy served as a defense mechanism. It allowed the prisoners to conserve their strength to focus on the overriding goal of survival. The prisoners were severely underfed and undernourished. Despite the long hours of manual labor, they were only given about two slices of bread, some thin soup, and bits of margarine, jam, cheese, or sausage. Over time, they became skin and bones, and the immunity system collapsed. It was a daily struggle to survive, and they simply couldn't afford to waste energy on feelings like horror or disgust. When a prisoner died, other prisoners would apathetically salvage the dead man's food, clothes, and possessions without emotion. Phase 3. Depersonalization After the prisoners were finally freed, they entered a third phase, depersonalization. They'd become so emotionally numb and detached that they couldn't even feel joy or excitement at their freedom. Moreover, at some point, Every survivor had dreamt that he was free, only to wake up to the nightmare of still being imprisoned. So they simply didn't dare to believe they were truly free. Instead, they felt disconnected from their own bodies, thoughts, and feelings, as if they were observing their life from the outside. After prolonged mental pressures and physical captivity, sudden liberty could also be dangerous. It's similar to how a diver can die from the sudden change in pressure if he rises to the surface too quickly from the ocean depths. Many liberated prisoners suffered from negative responses. In some cases, the oppressed became the oppressor. They felt justified to hurt others, like how they'd been hurt. Others felt bitter because people didn't seem to acknowledge or care about what they'd been through. They also felt disillusioned when the world they returned to wasn't what they imagined it would be. Often, the liberated prisoners returned to their hometown only to find their loved ones gone, and things were no longer as they remembered. Despite the adjustment difficulties, at some point, all the liberated prisoners were able to look back with wonder at how they survived the camps and feel as if there was nothing to fear, except perhaps God. Despite the horrifying camp life, many prisoners managed to retain their sense of self, find psychological relief, and even inner peace. 
Frankel observed that survival and self-preservation depended much more on mental, emotional strength than physical strength. And the survivors often demonstrated several coping mechanisms, including rich inner lives, goals for the future, and a perception of choice. No matter how unbearable our external circumstances, humans have the ability to retreat into an inner psychological space of peace and safety. Prisoners who had rich inner lives coped much better than those who didn't. For example, it's possible to find humor in anything, and Franco challenged his friend to come up with at least one amusing story daily about a scenario after they were free. Wherever possible, the prisoners improvised with music and poetry, or paused to admire a beautiful sunset. Many prisoners also found ways to run makeshift religious services and deepened their spiritual beliefs. One of Frankel's biggest realizations during his imprisonment was the power of love. Even if a man has nothing, he can still feel joy and bliss by thinking of something or someone he loves. Frankel often conversed with his wife in his head and focused on his loving memories of her to distract himself from his pain. Regardless of whether she was still alive, he decided he would act in a way that would honor her. The prisoners also used their imagination to escape temporarily from camp life. For example, talking about their favorite dishes they'd have when they went home. Another important factor for psychological resistance was to have a goal for the future. A concentration camp prisoner has no name, no possessions, and no idea if or when he'd ever be free. Frankel was known as number 119104 and spent the bulk of his time digging and laying tracks for railway lines. It was like being stuck in a provisional existence without a finite end date. Many prisoners committed suicide because they felt they had nothing to live for, Yet, those with life goals somehow found a way to persist. They may hang on for a son or a wife, or so they could finish writing a book series. Even small goals, like planning a favorite dinner menu or family event, gave people something to look forward to. And, despite the massive suffering, prisoners still had choices. Every morning, they had to decide if they'd push to survive another day or simply give up. They chose whether to let the camp degrade them to an animal or stay true to their human values and sense of self. Some prisoners chose to abuse others, while others offered comfort and shared what little food they had. Some guards were sadistic, while others chose to be kind. The point is... You can choose to retain your human dignity, even in a death camp. In 1945, there was an outbreak of typhus, and Frankel volunteered for medical duties at a typhus-wrecked camp. This would expose him to higher risks of dying from the disease, but he decided he'd rather die with purpose. Later, Frankel almost escaped with other prisoners when an opportunity arose. Yet, in the end... He chose to stay with his patients, and the decision brought him a profound sense of inner peace. No matter what your external circumstances, you can choose how to interpret the situation. You can find meaning in your suffering. For example, 
see it as an opportunity to test your inner strength and grow yourself. Even if you're terminally ill, you can choose what to do with your remaining time on Earth. In fact, such choices often define who you truly are as a person. Part 2. Logotherapy and the Power of Meaning Logos stands for meaning in Greek, and logotherapy is essentially a psychological approach that focuses on the meaning of human existence. It's built on the principle that humans are motivated by meaning. We want to know why we exist, what we're supposed to do, and that there's value in our existence. In a college student survey, only 15% indicated the most important thing to them was to make a lot of money, compared with 78% who chose finding a purpose and meaning to my life. In a public opinion in France, 89% said that humans needed something to live for, and 51% said there was something or someone they'd die for. Similar results were found in Vienna. Unlike psychoanalysis, which treats neurosis by examining the patient's past, logotherapy focuses on introspection and what the patient wishes to fulfill in the future. Franco stressed that men's search for meaning shouldn't be treated like a disease or dysfunction. It's normal to feel three types of existential frustration. Frustration with the things we must do to survive. Frustration with the meaning of life in general, that is, why are we here? And frustration with the meaning of our personal existence. For example, what am I here for? Hello, listener. Thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform and also our social media. We have prepared a graphic summary with the main ideas and teachings of this incredible bestseller. Click on the link book graphic in the description to have access to a material where we combine the perfect mental stimuli so that you know and understand the great intuitions of the author. These questions may make us feel empty, detached, and lost. But instead of trying to fix the patients with drugs and analysis, logotherapy is about guiding the patients through a growth or developmental crisis. For example, a high-ranking American diplomat was dissatisfied with his career and struggled to adhere to America's foreign policy. For five years, he underwent psychoanalyticala treatment and his analyst insisted that his job dissatisfaction was rooted in his problematic relationship with his father. Finally, the diplomat approached Frankel. After a few sessions, they established that there was a conflict between his vocation and desire for meaning. He found contentment once he switched to another profession. Good mental health isn't about the absence of tension or conflict, it's about how you address those conflicts in your life. Inner conflict can help us to grow, improve, and deepen our self-awareness. Constructive tension, for example, the gap between where you are and where you want to be, can drive you to take positive action. That brings us to a wider question. What exactly is the meaning of life? Well, there's actually no universal meaning of life, 
Since such meaning varies from person to person and from moment to moment, it's just like how there's no such thing as the best chess move in the world. The best move will depend on the specific game, players, and their respective strategies and counter-strategies. What truly matters is the meaning of your life right now. No two people are the same, and every life situation is unique. This means that you are fundamentally responsible for each and every choice that you make. Instead of asking for the meaning of life, look to your daily choices as they'd show what you are making of your life right now. To assess if you are making a right decision, fast forward to the moment when you're on your deathbed. Ask yourself if you'd be happy with the choice you're about to make. Then, make the decision as if you'd been given a second chance to do it right. Frankel disagreed with a key assumption in psychoanalysis, that humans' behaviors are predetermined by biology and external conditioning. He believed that mankind is self-determining, that is, no matter what happened in the past, what we decide now will shape what happens next, and thus redefine our existence, who we are, and who we're becoming. Your past does not predetermine your future. So, instead of telling the patient what to do, the logotherapist role is to help him to see himself, the world, and his range of options clearly, so he can make enlightened choices. Logotherapy offers three paths to help you find your meaning in life. Action inner experiences, and suffering. First, you can create meaning through action. That is, the deeds you perform or the things you create in your work, family, social, personal, or religious life. Second, you can find meaning through positive inner experiences with something or someone, including experiences of love, goodness, truth, beauty, or nature. Love, in the context of logotherapy, goes beyond romance and sex. It's a deeper experience of togetherness. You can only see someone's innermost qualities and potential if you love them, and your love, in turn, empowers them to actualize their potential. Third, you can find meaning through suffering. When you're in a situation you can't change, for example, if you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, the only thing you can do is to change your own attitudes and perspectives. However, while suffering is unavoidable and you can find meaning in suffering, you don't need to suffer in order to find meaning. Pain, guilt, and death are the three key types of suffering, yet you can find meaning in all of them. For example, you can see your pain as a form of sacrifice for a wider cause. A man had been depressed since his wife's death two years ago. After speaking with Frankel, he realized that his wife would have been the one in pain if he had passed away before her. Now that he saw his suffering as a form of sacrifice to spare his wife the pain, his depression simply disappeared. You can also redirect your guilt about the past to improve future actions. Even your mortality can be a powerful reminder to make every moment count. Human life may be fleeting, 
But once you make a decision and take action, you create real outcomes that leave a permanent footprint. If you live to your fullest and make the most of every moment, then you'll have no reason to look back with regret when you're old. What if your suffering is so great that you simply can't find any meaning in it? Well, animals are used in medical tests to study cures for diseases. They undoubtedly experience pain and suffering, much of which they can't comprehend. Likewise, there could always be a wider purpose to our suffering that we simply can't grasp. Regardless of which path we take, true meaning and actualization will always come from focusing on something beyond yourself. Logotherapy can also be used to address collective neurosis or the psychological challenges that affect an entire generation. Our present generation is grappling with nihilism or the belief that life is meaningless. Ironically, this is partly a result of our freedom and better living conditions. Our human ancestors had to rely on primal instincts to survive and procreate. They simply had no need or ability to ponder about the meaning of life. With cultural progress, our roles and behaviors were dictated by tradition, religion, and social norms. So we still didn't have to define our own roles or purpose in life. However, in modern societies, we've lost touch with many traditions and are free to make our independent personal choices. Without others telling us what to do and believe, we feel lost. When we're bored, we feel empty and discontented. And with automation and longer lives, we may also find ourselves losing the jobs that used to give us our sense of purpose and identity. Frankel believed that logotherapy is a much better approach for dealing with nihilism since it directly addresses the void or lack of meaning that people are grappling with and focuses on helping people to identify their options for the future. On the other hand, traditional psychoanalytical approaches assume that humans are driven by pleasure and our behaviors are determined by our past experiences. This only reinforces the view that we're pawns to our biology and social conditioning. You can also use logotherapy to counter personal anxiety. When we're anxious, we tend to get fixated on the causes of our anxiety to make things worse. Specifically, there are two conditions associated with anticipatory anxiety. Hyperintention is when you focus so much on something you want that you end up sabotaging it. For example, the more you try to achieve a sexual orgasm, the harder it is. Or, the more you try not to sweat, the more likely you will. Hyperreflection is about paying too much attention to something you don't want, only to worsen it. For example, a woman became frigid not because of the childhood sexual abuse she suffered, but because of the amount of psychoanalytical research she did thereafter which amplified her trauma. You can counter hyperintention with paradoxal intention, that is, consciously plan to do the opposite of what you're afraid of. 
If you're anxious about sweating during a speech, then flip it around by challenging yourself to show the audience how much you can sweat. If you're trying to fall asleep, challenge yourself to stay awake as long as possible. This quickly cancels out the anxiety. You can also counter hyperreflection with dereflection, that is, redirect the focus away from yourself to something external or wider, which inadvertently helps to achieve your goals. Continuing from the example earlier, the frigid woman found it easier to achieve orgasm when she shifted the focus away from herself to her partner instead. Basically, you can't force happiness. Pushing too hard will only backfire. For example, when you're unhappy, you end up feeling guilty for being unhappy, worsening the situation. Instead of directly searching for happiness, it's much more effective to search for a reason to be happy. It's like how you tell a joke to make someone laugh rather than force him to laugh. Likewise, by finding meaning in your life, you automatically bring hope, motivation, and fulfillment into your life. We've just shared Frankel's psychological insights and how logotherapy can be used to reduce anxiety and inject meaning into our lives. This book is actually a combination of several of Frankel's works, including a narrative of his concentration camp experiences, an overview of logotherapy, and an elaboration of its philosophy and its practices. It includes many other detailed narratives, examples, and discussions about life, meaning, logotherapy, and its applications. If you've enjoyed the ideas in this summary, do get a copy of the book or visit victorfrankel.org. We hope you've enjoyed this book summary presentation of Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankel, read by Larry G. Jones. Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes.